Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Ken Ritter who has been focusing on the market of, uh, you know, Midwest, right? So, and he's been focusing a lot on, uh, you know, small apartments, leveraging technology. So we're going to go a bit more detail into each one of that and how is it making it successful. Uh, hey Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks James, appreciate you having me on. Sure, sure. Why not you tell our audience about, you know, what do you do, you know, uh, what are the assets you own and, uh, you know, how do you work with others and uh, how are you being, indulging yourself in the uh, multifamily investing space? Yeah, for sure. Uh, happy to go into all that. And just to give a little bit of background on, on kind of where, where I came from a multifamily, I really started out as a passive investor, um, started out by investing passively in, in, in a, a lot of deals, about 10 deals at first, used that to really you know, learn the ropes, but also to really fall, fall in love with it and realize um, that this was something that, that I wanted to pursue real as a career and, and make my, my full-time job. And, um, you know, so I started passively and then decided, you know, I caught the bug and decided to, to become an operator myself. So I'm, uh, I'm currently, I guess we've currently, we, so we syndicate deals. Um, Currently, I've syndicated about 340 units, uh-huh. um, and and as of last year, just middle of last year, um, I joined up as a partner with, with a larger firm called Burge and Held Asset Management, um, which is which is owned by a mentor of mine, a, a man named Tag Burge, and it's really given me the opportunity to to build off of their platform. They've got a vertically integrated platform, um, a very sophisticated operating model with one and a half billion in assets under management. But I'm able to use that to, to build my own business and, and focus on on my own deals. And, and within that, we've we've had about um, 190 units that we've acquired in three deals in the past six months. And uh, yeah, like you said, they're all in the Midwest, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, Dayton, Ohio. And because I'm based in Indianapolis, so it's it's kind of uh, about, you know, couple hours uh, to each of those. And we're really focusing on on smaller properties and more tertiary markets. I mean, thinking that um, if you look at even markets like Indianapolis and, and how prices have risen and how, how high the competition is, it's really tough to make deals pencil. I think if you're, conser- if you're conservatively underwriting and, and underwriting in the right way. Um, so we started looking at, at other markets and, and at smaller deal sizes where the competition is, is just different. The, the buyer profile is different, right? It's not institution 
trading the institution and a ton of competition. There's much less competition because honestly, it's, it's harder to do smaller units and, and nobody coaches to go do small units, right? Everybody that's in a mentor program is being told, go big, go big, you know, do, do 100, 150 plus. So I saw that as a gap where, where I can play. And, and then the seller profile is different too, right? We're not buying largely from sophisticated owners. We're buying from, from mom and pops, from folks that have owned it for 20 or 30 years and, and have managed it, um, but have left meat on the bone, you know? So we're, we're seeing opportunities where we're seeing higher return profiles than, than you would see from, from larger deals in the same market because we're, we're buying at value, we're fixing management problems and we're bringing the capital to the deals to really um, get the most out of them. Yeah, that's very interesting, right? I mean, you are right. A lot of people teach us go and buy 100 unit plus, right? Because of management ease and, you know, they think that you can just syndicate and still do your W2 job and you can, uh, you know, you can run these properties, right? So right. I, mean, I do teach, you know, you can start from small because I started from 45 units and gotcha. almost 2000 units. So, but I know that smaller number of units, you know, you can buy from mom and pop, you know, less sophisticated sellers. At the mm -hmm. same time, uh, you know, the buyer pool is different, right? You're probably competing with single family, maybe 10 units people. And so you'll be yeah. the you'll be the big fish in the tank when you go yeah. into 30 to 70 units uh, deal, right? So which that's makes it right. a, a different that's advantage, right. right? And we've been able to use that to our advantage. You mm -hmm. know, there's, um, I mean, a, a deal that we recently won. I mean, I, I can tell you that it was our reputation that won the day. It was, uh, you know, a market that we... Um, you know, market that we knew, broker that we didn't have a, a really close relationship with, but just the the reputation we were able to win the day, even even if our terms weren't, uh, you know, wasn't the highest price, well, it wasn't exactly the best terms. So there definitely is a competitive advantage there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So is it because you chose the Midwest? Is it because you live there and that's your backyard? Is that why you chose the market, or was there any other reason? In terms of uh, any other yeah. demographic reason? I mean, that played a big role in it. Uh, I mean, one, just, just being there. I mean, I've, uh, you know, it's, I think it's more difficult. I just don't know how you can, if you're managing, if you're really operating it yourself and, and you're, you're in charge of asset management and you're, you know, especially these smaller properties or even more in charge from a property management standpoint, how you could do that without being able to, to be physically present at the properties. I mean, it'd be really hard to do, do yeah. remotely to do it to do it at a level that you really need to be doing to, to execute it at the level that we want to execute at least. Um, yeah. So physical location definitely is important. Um, and then also just, I like the Midwest because the Midwest is, it's not cyclical. It's, it's kind of steady Eddie, it's you know, you're not, you're not going to hit the headlines, you know, Indianapolis and Louisville and others have been hitting the headlines recently. Um, you know, you're not going to see that eight, 10% a year rent growth, right? But we're, but we are realistically seeing three, two, three, 5% a year rent growth. Um, and it's something that you don't see those big ups and downs, right? It just kind of steadily works its way up. We also have seen a, a huge logistics boom here, just being so centrally located. You've got, you know, FedEx headquarters is in the Midwest, UPS, uh, from like their world, their, or at least their North America logistics headquarters, um, and then with all the, you know, with, especially with COVID and with Amazon booming, I mean, we're just seeing a lot of benefits from, from just where we're geographically located. And, and lastly is just value. Um, you know, Midwest historically, and it's still true, ha has had cap rates that are anywhere from 50 to hundred basis points higher. 
uh, to even up to 200 base points higher than, than other markets that are, that are hotter and more competitive. So we're able to buy at a value and because we can do that, we can return cash flow immediately. Um, and it's not a situation where we have to overraise to give the cash back. I mean, it's true operational cash flow out of the deals. So, you know, we like to be in that position to be able to give a seven or 8% cash on cash return that first year. Yeah. Interesting. You talked about overraise to provide cash flow. Do you see operators doing that? Yes. <laughs> if, if you're, if you're in a, if you're in a market, if you're in a four cap market or even a, a, a low five cap market and, um, the sponsor's promising that you're going to be getting your, your full pref. If it's a seven, eight pref that first year, um, then you're, they're probably raising the money to, to give it back to you. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's just what I've experienced that like the, the math just doesn't work. I know. I know. Well, I, I brought it up because it's a big topic that I, I brought it up in, in LinkedIn and one of my posts yeah. which got like, almost 15,000 uh, hits uh, on LinkedIn because wow. I was wondering how do people pay 8% prep on a value add on when you're, they were over, yeah. already overpaying for deal. And and right. I figured out, oh, okay, they're probably overraising the deal. And that's what someone told me. They hey, you just overraise and do it. I said, well, why are you doing it, right? I mean, you're just trying to please the investors. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, yeah, it's just not, it, it just, it dilutes the overall returns. I mean, you're, I think it's a, you know. What, it's what was the word a, you used? Lutzio. What's that? You said, Lutz. Oh, I said it dilutes oh, the, the overall returns because yeah. you're, you know, um, but anyway, mm. that's, uh, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of things you see out there. If you really understand the numbers behind it and correct, say, well, correct, that, correct. the math just doesn't work. That's impossible. So there's yeah. gotta be something else going on. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. People are doing that because that's basically, you know, you preach a lot about, you know, getting cash flow from real estate and now you are not really getting cash flow from real estate. You just create no. a separate. You just create a separate escrow fund to pay yeah. back people. And I mean, investors yeah. are happy; they're getting day one money. But are they really getting it from the deal? And everything. Well, you're you're given a loan, right? Yeah, given a loan. <laughs> you just give you're back your own money. Just yeah. a joke, right? So, <laughs> I mean, everything will be fine if the market keep on going up. But when market flattens or going down, that's where you yeah. have to declare. Hey, actually, we are not making money from the from the real estate. We are just have this separate account, but you know, that's a right. and, question, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and just for the investor's sake, I mean, all, all of that should be declared in there. If you're reading the PPMs and you're going through those documents. Well, everybody you know, claim they declare, but I've read the PPMs. I can never see yeah. any word there. I mean, nobody's going to say when I raise the money, actually, for the first year, I'm going to overraise and pay you back. Right. Right. Well, nobody yeah. Mentioned in webinar, right? So. so, so that's a different story in and of itself too. That's, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. But well, I mean, I, I just want to, bring it up because you brought up a good point. And, and for me, yeah. we all do a lot of value add. And I always tell my investors, you have to wait six to nine months or sometimes 12 months for, yeah. for us to stabilize the deal. That's where we start paying out uh, because ours is all true cash flow from the yeah. real estate, right? And everybody's okay with that. Everybody understands we are doing a value add, we're doing turnaround. Right. Uh, but compared to another deal where, and, and people come and say, I need monthly cash flow from day one because the other guy is paying for it. And yeah, it's very hard well, for us to explain. You're hitting on two things that, that I think are super important. One is the, one is just setting investor expectations, mm -hmm. right? And, and I find that in life, like, like I spent, I spent 12 years as a management consultant flying all over the country. Um, and I spent a lot of time in airports and, and I, I've used this example before, but it's like every, everything starts and ends with communication and, and you mm -hmm. see that nowhere, nowhere else greater than, than when a flight's delayed. Right. And, and, and there's either two things that happen. One, people just 
totally go insane, right? And get and get mad and they're yelling and they're angry. Or or the other one is uh, people kind of say, well, well, okay. And they accept it and they, they go and get another beer or do what they're going to do. And, and, and we all kind of move on. And, and the thing that I started noticing because I guess, cause I'm a, I was a consultant. I think about these things is like, is why, and it all comes down to really communication and how they're communicating, you know, on the, on the delays and why things are happening and giving context. And most people are reasonable. If you do that, same thing with the, it's a long story to say same thing with a deal. If, if you're just setting expectations up front and explaining in context, why I think people understand that. And if they don't, then that's the other point is that investor then isn't aligned for your type of deal. Cause some people want cash flow, Some people want, some people want just wealth generation, right? And they're, and they're willing to not take the cash for that. People want different things. So it's extremely important that you have that conversation with the investor up front and pair the investor to the right style of deal. Well, I mean, the fact is it's very hard to find an 8% cash flowing deal on day one. Otherwise, the institutional guys will come and grab it in a heartbeat, yeah. right? So because, you know- who, That's why you got to do 50 units. They don't want I mean, that stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean- <laughs> What you are what you are doing, you know, smaller multifamily is actually a really, really, really good strategy, right? I mean, the thing is, you have to work harder, which is if you're yes. okay when you are, you know, when you are making money and you are starting up, and you know, you're okay to do that, right? I mean, sometimes people just want to go big because they want to go big quickly. Yeah. But for me, so here's uh, here's the X factor of all this. We we underwrite all the deals um, independently. They all stand on their own. But the, the broader strategy is what if, what if I acquire a thousand units in total of all these smaller properties and we put our management our, and we put our management team on it. So it's got turnkey management and you turn around and you sell that to an operator uh, or to an investor, a larger institution that wouldn't be interested in 50, but would be interested in a thousand. And now you're able to achieve a portfolio premium because you're opening it up to a buyer pool uh, that wasn't interested and all of a sudden is, and, and even the ability to offer turnkey management on that. I think there, there's a real X factor to what we're doing that, that we're not underwriting to, but could, could, and I think will be a game changer, um, if we're able to execute that strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had another guest a few weeks back, which did the same thing. He took the, one of the hottest market, uh, in Texas and he looked for all the small deals and he started buying in that neighborhood, right? So that mm -hmm. he's trying to see, he's, he said the same thing. I can group all this and sell it as a, as a, as a package, right? To a big guy, yeah. right? So, but he was looking more into luxury community, right? He's trying to get this older, smaller property and making it into luxury, you know, putting, you know, uh, technology, you know, mm -hmm. doing a lot of renovation on a new roof, new AC so that you can bring down the cost. How's your strategy? I mean, uh, are you guys just buying it and just doing a, a small value add? Are you guys doing big value add? Are you putting any technology in it or how is that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, our strategy, our strategy right now, and some of it has been, um, a lot of it has been informed from, you know, one, the, the track record of, of Burgeon held in the history there and then the fit, the 65 deals that have been acquired um, and the lessons learned on those. And then part of it has been informed by um, just the environment that we're in right now with, with, with COVID and everything that, that's going on. So the, our strategy is really on this portfolio is, is lighter value adds. So really focusing on, on things that are going to drive, uh, drive revenue growth and really add value. Um, making sure that we're not overspending, right. Is the big thing. Like making, 
making sure we're not overspending, making sure that we're keeping our basis relatively low, uh, which reduces risk, right? Um, it means that we don't have to, you know, if we only spend four or 5,000 a unit, we don't have to achieve 150 or even a hundred dollar rent bump to make our numbers work. I mean, we have a deal that we're executing on right now, the one that's in Dayton, Ohio, where we've underwritten it and we have, it's a three-year hold. We have IRRs that are projected, you know, north of, north of 20 on that. And we're looking for a $60 rent bump because we, we just did it in a smart way. So you don't have to go in and if you do it in the right way, you don't have to go in and say, I got to raise rent 200 bucks. Otherwise this deal is not going to work. So one, it's, it's a lighter value add Two, it's focusing a lot of time on what, what I call revenue generating amenities, things like fiber optic internet. So we're installing uh, fiber optic internet across an entire portfolio and we're becoming the internet service provider for the residents. So I love that because it's, you're not, adding an additional financial burden to the resident, we're actually lowering typically their internet fees by about 10 to $15 a month, but we're giving them a better service. We're giving them fiber direct to their door, which is like 200 megabits up, 200 megabits down, um, which really matters when you're at home doing Zoom calls and kids are, kids are doing remote schooling and, and all that, right? Um, so we're, but we're able to shift that revenue um, to us and to the property versus versus to someone else. We're also doing that with things like washers and dryer rentals. So we love finding properties that have washer and dryer hookups and setting up a washer dryer rental, rental program. Again, they're paying somebody to do their laundry. We would just like them to pay us. And in exchange, we give them brand new units. So we focus heavily on things like that. So less on the actual value add, more on the amenities that are gonna drive value, not physical amenities, but other things. And third is, technology. So, you know, the difficulty, the hardest thing about a small property is how do you manage it? Because you can't afford full on-site staff, right? Um, so the way that we get around that is by creating like a scattered site portfolio where you have one manager who's managing up to 200 units um, that are, you know, concentrated, but not in the same property, right? Like, like we have a manager who manages between Louisville and Lexington. And um, he's able to do that because we have smart locks on the property. We have, we have software that sits over the smart locks that allows for remote access. So he can let, he can control access to the buildings and control access to individual units. Um, so it's not only a benefit for the resident who can now, you know, use their phone to enter their unit because he uses Bluetooth technology, but also the manager can manage remotely and not have to be directly on site. Um, and then we, we've, what we've also been able to do with the smart locks is implement a self-guided tour technology. So we're working on creating this contactless leasing process where someone can go online, interact with our chat bot online to, to feel like they're talking with a real person. They can sign up and they can say, you know, I'd like to see a unit. And they say, well, would you like to see a virtual tour or would you like to do a self-guided tour? And they're able to select, they select, they can do a self-guided tour. And what happens is there's geolocation beacons in the property. So using the person's phone, we actually know where they are on the property and we can curate the tour to them based on where they're at. So for example, somebody, somebody goes, they click, they want to do a self-guided tour. They set up their appointment. They come up to the property. They receive a code, one-time code on their phone to enter the property and enter the unit. 
Um, from there, we track them through the property and it's, it's really cool because it's like, it's a curated experience. So the experience is like if your best leasing agent was giving their best tour all the time and it's actually professionally voice recorded. So, so they walk up to the pool, we know they're at the pool and it says, Oh, welcome to the pool. And someone reads them off all the information about the pool. They go to the fitness center, same thing. The unit, same thing. Tells them about the property as they're walking through it. It's a really cool experience. And they can have all that. And then at the end, it's all tied up with a virtual lease. So they can do, they can sign up for a lease right there um, and leverage DocuSign and do that. And at no, at no point in time did they ever have to physically come in contact with anyone. So it, it's, you know, it's benefit to the residents uh, or potential residents. They can... They don't, they can schedule tours outside of times when the, when the clubhouse is open or when the, or if there's not even a manager on site. Right. Um, and it allows people to have that security of not having to uh, be face-to-face, you know, during COVID. So it, it's been a win-win. It's really cool. And we're just continuing to, the no touch lease was the first proof of concept or, or use case. And then other things we're continuing to just build out management efficiencies with different technology uh, that we roll on. And the next big thing we're going to be rolling out is a, a centralized call center. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I mean, that's really good uh, technology implementation, right? You probably don't have to have a leasing agent in that case, right? So- no, you don't. You don't. Really, the, the manager can handle it um, and it reduces the number of leases or reduces the number of tours. It actually increases the number of tours, but decreases the number of tours that you have to physically be there to Correct. do. Correct. That touches that you, you need to have a person to do it. it right? so- exactly. And the next, the next level will be once the call center is up and running, which will be later this year, is the ability to, to centralize that contact. So they can actually be talking with a person. I mean, we could be, we could be chatting like this. You could be in an apartment right now looking around and I'm in a call center and I'm talking with you about the apartment and about the neighborhood and about the experience. Um, and so that that's kind of the next level that we're seeking to gain. That's good. That's very good. Very good. So which vendor does provide this uh, geolocation um, and yeah, connection so, to the, the, to the leasing to a virtual tour? Yeah. So the self-guided tour vendor that we chose and we went through, so I, I lead a technology committee uh, within our group and, and we went through a very extensive process to vet all these different technologies because there's so many out there. The, the self-guided tour that we chose is called Tour24 is the name of the company. Uh-huh. And, and I like them because that's all they do is self-guided tours. A lot of the companies that we looked at, they wanted to bundle. Maybe it's, they do, they do, they'll give you the locks you know, they'll do the access control and they'll do the tour or something. Well, we already had those pieces in place. So we really went for a best of breed model, finding the best locks, the best access control, the best tours. And uh, yeah, tour 24 is the one that, that allows us to do that. Awesome. Awesome. So basically when someone want to come and visit the unit, they basically, uh, I mean, call in or log in or through a, a messenger or chatbot, I guess. Right. So yeah, where yeah. you Jose- can do it on the website. Okay. And then when they come, they don't have to even go to the office. Nope. Right. So like they get, our, our 30 unit in Louisville, we don't even have an office. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you get, um, uh, you know, which unit are available on your phone and they're going to yep. choose where it's located and then they get a, a code to enter into. Exactly. The, right. Yeah. And you just hold your, you just hold your phone up to the lock and the lock opens. Oh, really? That's awesome. So yeah. when you go in and there's a, I mean, there's somewhere where there's a recording to talk about the unit. Is that right? Someone would have recorded it. it it's all in the app. So, okay. so, so before they come to the tour, they download the tour 24 app. 
mm. and it's all run through the app. And, and the other great thing is from a liability management perspective is before they're allowed to schedule the tour, or as they schedule the tour, mm. they have to, the prospect takes a selfie on their phone. They have to take a picture of their, their ID and mm. they have to put a credit card on file. Okay, got it. Got it. Make them some any, liability, right? So exactly, it's liability management. We, one, we want to make sure that the people that are coming on site are the are, are who they really say they are. We want to make sure mm. that we have their credit card on file in case mm. they mm. were to do anything destructive. Mm, that's awesome. And what about the um, the internet provider that you guys have chosen? I mean, you said you use fiber. Did you guys use another vendor to lay out the fiber, or did you lay out your own fiber and you put your own software on top of it? So we, we do it ourselves. So we, we actually pay the, the capital. So we, we capitalize that within each deal to actually run, you know, bore the hole, run the fiber into the ground. And then we partnered with uh, a service provider to, to actually give us the, uh, you know, give us the, software, the actual, yeah, the fiber, <laughs> let the data flow, however you want yeah. to say that. So they're don't actually you have to connect that. to each unit uh, on the network connections. Yeah. So they come in and they wire, they wire okay. the property. Yeah. They so come in and wire the property. And then we actually hardwire um, Cisco routers and modems in each of the units. Oh. So the, the benefit for the resident is they don't have to deal with the cable company anymore. Like everybody hates the cable company, right? Yeah. Everybody hates the cable company. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and, and I've moved apartments so many times. Like I hate that. Like you got to wait two weeks to get internet or something. You know what I mean? So what the cool thing is we can, because it's already wired, the person moves in, all we have to do is literally go into an app, click a button and their internet's live and they're ready to go. And so it's really easy for the resident. It's one, one less bill or, and customer service and everything else to have to deal with. And uh, it's been a resounding, we've had resounding praise for, for the fiber of everything we've done. People love that. Got it, got it, got it. Well, I'm a technologist. I used to be a network engineer, so I want to understand this a bit better. So you lease the fiber cable from the city or some, you know, some company, and they, and so they basically you pay them. You you cap capex the fiber installation, right? And that comes to the office. And but the thing is, everything's they they have, the same contractor would have wired the entire apartment community with Cisco routers. Is what you're saying, I guess, right? Yeah, they, they do it all. Yeah, they do it all, you know, from, you know, we pay somebody to, to dig the hole and then they mm. come and they lay the line, they wire the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually, we front the capital. I mean, we, we do do a- And how much would it cost like for 50 units? Uh, I mean, whether the number so of units it, doesn't really matter, I guess. So fiber it's, is fiber, it's a, right? It, well, yeah, it's about, it, it comes out to about 1500 a unit. Okay, okay. Yeah, it comes out to about 1500 a unit. The whole thing, I guess, the software plus the hardware, I guess, right? So- the initial capital cost, yeah, okay. is okay. about fifteen hundred a unit, and then from there, there's a service fee, um, for month, but right? the monthly service fee. But it's it's you know that's just part of of what we're passing through to the resident for Got their it. internet it. charge. But you get the full the, internet uh, fee from the from the resident, right? That's an we do. Market. So we get to keep the we get to keep the difference, right? Okay. Okay. And and the way that we do it is we do a market survey of of internet service providers. Mm-hmm. And we try to undercut the market by anywhere from 10 to $15. Mm-hmm. We want to make it a no brainer for the residents to say yeah. like, why, why wouldn't they do this? It's better product and it's cheaper. Mm. But the thing is, if the resident not paying rent or what, then you don't get that money as well. Right. Whereas if it's a, if it's a third party, then they, they handles with that. That's the only downside, I guess. That's true. That's true. We just turn off their internet though. 
Oh, okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking. Well, like, like I a, said, it's it's a flip of a switch. It goes both yeah, ways. Yeah. Well, I installed one of in one of my property as a beta, right? Uh, but I I I had an option where I can install the whole thing myself mm -hmm. through that company, or you know, get that company to do everything, and we get you know 10, 20 percent of whatever revenue everybody's making. So yeah. I chose the later part because I don't want to deal with, you know people calling me to turn on internet, turn off internet and all that. But it could be something simple with technology. And as I said, you have to do something different to differentiate yourself. And that's what mm -hmm. you guys are doing, right? You're buying smaller, you know, putting a lot of technology, you're, you're putting hard work. This is not like buy and forget about it, third-party property management, right? You have to implement all right. this software, which is a differentiation factor from a lot of people. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of investment, right? So. Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, I appreciate that. So I always think, I always tell people you have to work hard, you have to be persistent. And the last thing is do do things differently from everybody else. That's what exactly that's right. you guys are doing, right? So that's right. Awesome. Do you want to share about yourself and your company to our audience? Sure, sure. So, yeah, so myself, I, I, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but I, I spent uh, about 12 years as a management consultant, you know, flying all over the country, helping helping companies solve big problems, essentially. It's what they paid us to do is solve problems. So it, it, it really translates quite well into real estate because that's what you, that's how you make money in real estate is you solve problems, right? Oh, and you absolutely. find new solutions and, and the, the tech piece goes directly along with that. Um, Cause a lot, a lot of what we did was, was around technology. So, so it all kind of work, works out really well. I'm able to leverage a lot of my skill set, and, and it's been fun just, just being a full-time real estate investor. Um, from my company standpoint, so I'm, I'm a partner with a, a company called Burgeon Held. We are a, a Indianapolis-based multifamily private equity firm. Um, we we do single uh, asset syndications. We have about one and a half billion in assets under management, and about fifteen thousand units in the portfolio. And, and the way that, and so I'm a small piece within that. I have I have my own my own group, which we call Private Select. Uh, just kind of, you know, playing oh, off, cool. the, playing off the idea of these smaller, right, selective properties, mm -hmm. um, and and I'm really, um, I'm really focusing on on kind of democratizing this uh, this sophisticated model for more retail investors. So so folks just like me, how I said I started as a passive investor, you know, I was putting fifty to hundred thousand dollars in, into the deals that I was doing. Um, and so I'm giving access to the type of deals that we're doing and Burgeon Health's platform to the, to those same type of people. Um, cause those are the, the type of people I, I like to deal with, uh, and work with. And so that, that's really what, what we're doing. Um, Burgeon Health has many strategies that are being implemented. My strategy is what we just described, which are these, you know, these, like I said, mismanaged, undercapitalized, undervalued properties that where we can come in and, and we can have a massive impact. Got it. Got it. Awesome, Ken. Thanks for coming on the show. And I'm sure our audience and listeners did get a lot of value from our discussion. Thank yeah. you. And if, if folks want to, uh, if they want to get in touch. You oh, okay. I thought that's what you were, you were supposed to say. Okay, go ahead now. Oh, sorry. No, I, I thought you just wanted me to tell a little bit. What no, we no, no, no. Give, give, give every, your contact information. Yeah, sure. If, if folks want to get in touch, so you can go to kentritter.com. Uh, very, very simple. That's my home base. Uh, we've got, you know, tools for investors and things on there and a little bit about more, more about what we do. Um, and you can also listen to my podcast. It's called Ritter on Real Estate. And uh, 
we, we focus on a lot of conversations like this, but just, you know, how to be better real estate investors. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, James. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audio book. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.